Good morning, everyone. <laughs> Welcome again to Kettlebrook Church. As Troy said, my name is Kara Moran, and I lead the Reach Global team here at Kettlebrook. And today we're finishing up our four-week series on God's heart for the nations. I hope that you were here um, to listen to Tom Atwater, to Troy as he spoke on racial reconciliation, and to Dave Heidenreich. Um, if you weren't able to be here, I would encourage you to download their messages off of our website. <clears throat> if you've been coming to Kettlebrook for any length of time, you have probably caught on to the fact that we as a church, we as a family, are committed to help those who don't yet know Jesus hear the gospel, both here in Washington County and around the world. Our mission statement says it all. We are a family of followers of Jesus, helping others follow Jesus. And as we follow Jesus, as we read God's word, the Bible, what we find is that God is committed to giving those who do not, do not yet know Jesus a chance to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as we follow him, we find ourselves deeply committed to what he's committed to. We find our hearts breaking for what breaks his heart. And we find our purpose as we align ourselves to his purposes. And what we see clearly <clears throat> throughout scripture is that God's heart beats for those who don't yet know him. God's heart beats for those who don't yet know him. And as we follow him, ours will as well. So today, we're going to read an interaction some people had with Jesus, um, it, during which he reveals God's heart in this. If you'd open your Bibles, or the Bibles in front of you, or your Bible apps, however you read God's word in these crazy days, um, to the book of Luke, chapter 15. Now, the book of Luke is the third chapter in the New Testament, the third book in the New Testament. It is the third of what we call the four Gospels, or kind of the recounting of the life of Jesus while he was on earth. And what we'll read today is an interaction Jesus had, one of many he actually had, in which he is pointing to the fact that God's heart is beating for those who don't yet know him. So Luke chapter 15, we'll start in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. That's Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in, that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. So Jesus, as he often does, is hanging around with tax collectors and sinners, the worst of the worst, they were known as the scum of Israel. And the religious rulers of the day were grumbling about it, as they often did. And so Jesus tells this story, and I love this. He knew what they were grumbling about. So he specifically tells this story to explain to them what God's heart is like. He's revealing God's heart to them and to us as well. And he talks about a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. And in describing what God is like to people who are grumbling because he's hanging around 
with scum. He tells the story of a shepherd who will leave 99 sheep behind and go after one and search diligently for it until he can find it and bring it home. It's like he's saying directly to those religious people, why do I hang out with these people? Because I am the visible image of my invisible father. I am doing what he does. I'm living out his heart in the flesh and blood. I'm revealing my father's heart to you. My father will leave 99 sheep to go after one in order to bring it home. My father's heart beats for those who don't yet know him. It's like he's on a rescue mission. Now, when someone, anyone, is on any type of rescue mission, Maybe it would be a fire or a flood or a car accident. Once someone is pulled to safety, the focus does not usually remain on the rescued person, right? It turns immediately back to those who are still in need of rescue. There's a sense of urgency to get them out. My father will leave 99 to go searching for one that is lost in order to bring him or her home. Now, do you all remember the boys' soccer team from Thailand? Last summer, that got trapped in a cave. This rescue story captivated the world for weeks. Basically, 12 boys, ages 11 to 16, along with their young soccer coach, went hiking for the day to celebrate one of the boys' birthdays. And they went to a cave that they'd hiked in before, one that's famous for hiking. But while they were in there, the cave began to fill with water from heavy rains, and they became trapped. They could not go out. They had to go deeper into the cave and find a safe spot to wait. Somehow they found a muddy slope and waited there deep inside the cave. Once the boys didn't return home, their parents knew something was wrong and found their bikes outside the cave. Then for ten heart-wrenching days, crews searched but could not find them. Do you remember this? Expert scuba divers, cave rescue experts, crisis management people flooded from around the world to try and help find this team. And then, against all hope, ten days after they disappeared, the boys and their coach were miraculously found deep inside the cave. We have a video to show the moment that diver came upon the boys. How, how many of you? Thirteen. Brilliant. We are coming. It's okay. Many people are coming. Many, many people. We are the first. Many people come.
So they were found alive. Praise God. But very quickly, a new reality set in. Getting them out of that cave would prove to be a nearly impossible task. It was treacherous for these expert scuba divers to even find them in the dark, murky cave waters. None of the boys knew how to swim. How would they get them out? Eventually, they hatched a crazy plan to rescue the boys to basically swim them out one at a time in between two divers. It was risky. It was dangerous. It took literally hundreds of thousands of people to try to pull it off and the scuba divers themselves had little confidence that they would be successful but with the monsoon rains coming they were running out of time so when d-day or rescue day came the world watched and waited hours after the first two divers went in they emerged with the first boy thank god they got him out the crazy plan worked The world again breathed a sigh of relief and they whisked that boy off to the hospital. He was safe. Now, wouldn't it have been crazy if for the next week, all media attention focused on that boy in the hospital? What is he eating? How is he sleeping? Has he reconnected with his family? How is he feeling emotionally? Wouldn't that have been a little weird? I mean, if I would have seen that, I would have been yelling at my television, get the other 12 out. That boy is safe. Go in and get the other 12. What on earth are you doing? Jesus is revealing God's heart to us. He's saying my father is like a shepherd who will leave 99 to go after the one in order to bring home those who are still lost. My father's heart is beating for those who are still lost those in need of rescue. His passion and his energies are poured in that direction, giving others the opportunity to come into a relationship with Jesus. And as we follow him, our hearts align with his purposes, and they begin to beat for the same things. So today we're ending this series on God's heart for the nations. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, okay, Kara, I get it. As we follow Jesus, as we read God's word, our heart will beat for those who don't know him. But how do we get from that to the nations? Why the nations? Aren't there enough people who don't know him right here in Washington County? Shouldn't we be focusing our energies on them? Isn't there plenty to do right here? What about all the needs here? And I would say that is a great question. It's a question I often hear, and I'm very glad to be able to answer it this morning. In order to answer this question, we actually need to shift the conversation. Dave touched a little bit on this last week. Are there needs here in Washington County? Yes, absolutely there are needs here in Washington County. And we as the Kettlebrook family are involved in many ways here in Washington County through our REACH local ministry as well as through each one of us living our lives here as followers of Jesus and pointing people to him. But here's my question for you today. Those people who live here in Washington County who do not yet know Jesus, is there somewhere they could go to find out about him? Do they have Bibles available to them to read? Are there any people who might talk to them and help them understand who Jesus is? 
Yes, of course there are. According to my very scientific research of Googling churches in West Bend, I found out that there's actually between 16 and 20 gospel-preaching churches right in West Bend alone, not counting the greater Washington County. You see, the question isn't about needs. There are needs everywhere. The question is a question of accessibility. If someone in Washington County wants to learn more about God, they have massive access to find the answers they're looking for. They're surrounded by churches. There's Christian radio. There's English Bibles. And followers of Jesus are everywhere. They have access to the gospel. Praise God. Yes, they have needs, but they also have access without question. Last June, Mike and I were in a city in Russia, and we met these two men. These men live in Russia, but they're not considered Russian. They are Agul. Have you ever heard of the Agul people? Most likely not. They're not immigrants. They've lived there for hundreds and hundreds of years. They live in Russia, but the villages they live in are completely Agul. They are Muslim. They speak the Agul language. They speak broken Russian as a trade language. There's approximately 35,000 of them, very much like the population of West Bend. So among the Agul, the 35,000 Agul, there is one known believer in Jesus. One. And for their language, the Agul language, the Gospel of Luke has been translated. Just the Gospel of Luke. However, it's only been translated into one of their very four distinct dialects. If an Agul person wants to learn more about the God who created the universe, how would he or she find out? He or she would have to have access to the one follower of Jesus among the 35,000 of them, or speak the dialect of Agul into which the Gospel of Luke has been translated. Would you say that they have access to the Gospel? No, of course not. They have little to no access. You see, the conversation has to shift from who has needs to who has access. And why? Why does our conversation have to shift? Because not only did Jesus reveal God's heart to us, he also showed us God's plan. In the book of Matthew, chapter 24, Jesus' followers sort of pull him aside and ask him, when will you return? When will you bring your kingdom in? When will you set things to right? When will all be good here, Jesus? And he gives them this long answer, and he concludes in verse 14 with this. He says, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Will be preached as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. We know God's heart. This is God's plan. When we see that word nations in our Bibles, we generally think countries, right? USA, Mexico, Canada, Russia. But the Greek word that Jesus used here is actually the word ethne or ethnos. It's not nations. It means people joined by practicing similar customs, culture, or language. The word ethnos is not referring to countries. It's speaking about cultures within countries. It's speaking about people like the agul 
who while they may live in a country that has access to the gospel, their culture and language are so different that it's a barrier to the gospel. It keeps them from the gospel. It's like they're sealed off from the gospel. They are there, but the gospel is not reaching them. They're two miles deep in a cave on a muddy slope. Jesus said this gospel will be preached to all ethne, and then the end will come. This is God's plan. This gospel will be preached to every ethne. That is why the conversation has to shift from who has needs to who has access. God's heart beats for those who don't yet know him. His plan is that every ethne will have a chance to hear the gospel. Why the nations? Because there are nations that still have little to no access to the gospel. And our Father, who will leave 99 and search for the one, is going after them. God the Father will not rest till every ethne has a chance. He's orchestrating a rescue plan around the world to help bring home those who do not yet know him, specifically those who have little to no access to the gospel. That's his plan. And so we follow him in what he's doing. So we know God's heart. We know God's plan. So why do we have to care? Are we allowed to ask that question? Why do we have to care? Honestly, we don't have to care. We could just ignore all this, couldn't we? We're fine right here, Lord. We're going to focus on Washington County. Let someone else worry about those agul. Why do we have to care? Dave talked last week about a word that we often don't like the sound of. Does anybody remember what it was? Anyone? Bueller? What? Someone said it. Yes, obey. Obeying God's heart. Why do we have to care? Here's why. As we follow Jesus, he reveals God's heart to us. It beats for those still without hope. He explained God's plan to us every ethne. But he didn't stop there. Just before ascending to heaven, Jesus said a few things to his followers. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, all ethne. In another conversation, he said to them, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in all Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus revealed God's heart to us. He explained God's plan to us. And he invited us. In fact, he commanded us to be a part of the rescue. Why the nations? If we are committed to following Jesus and committed to reading God's word, the Bible, I think we're actually led to a different question altogether. How could we not care about the nations? How could we, as a family of followers of Jesus, not join God in his rescue plan? As we follow Jesus, this is where he leads us without question. God's heart, God's plan, God's command. Now what does this mean specifically for us at Kettlebrook? What this means is that as a family, we will stay committed to reaching out to those both in Washington County and around the world. This means that we, Reach Global, along with the leadership of Kettlebrook, are committed 
to strategically pouring energy and resources into the areas of the world that are the least reached. We are committed to joining in the rescue of every ethne, those nations who are trapped with no hope for rescue. This determines who we partner with and what areas of the world we focus on. Now, as many of you know, a few years ago, through a series of events, we became aware of an overlooked part of Russia that is home to the Agul, as well as 44 others, at least 44, of these sealed-off nations. Expert missiologists say that this will be one of the two last-reached places on Earth. And so following God in the best way we can understand, the leadership of Kettlebrook has decided that this part of Russia... This is our cave, and we have joined in the efforts. We have become part of the rescue mission to get those who are trapped and to give them an opportunity to escape to life. Now, maybe you're thinking, what can one little church do? How do we exactly do this? How do we go after the one? We're in Wisconsin. Many of us are never leaving Wisconsin. One of the most beautiful stories wrapped around the Thai cave rescue is the story of the hundreds of people who came forward and said, I want to help. I can cook and I will stand here and cook outside this cave for you rescue workers so that you can keep working. I want to help. I'm a farmer. You can destroy my fields as you take water out of that cave so that you can try and rescue those boys. I want to help. All I can do is wash clothes. So I will wash the clothes of the scuba divers so that they can keep working day after day. People came forward by the hundreds to help in any way they could. When we realized God was inviting us to be a part of this particular rescue, we did something just like that. We said, Lord, we think you might be leading us in this direction. Show us what to do. And he began to show us. First, he told us to pray, of course. And now we have a prayer team of over 30 people who are regularly praying for this region. Then we got in contact with people who are already on the ground, already involved in the rescue, and asked them, how can we serve you? Since 2016, we've sent over 30 people to the region on six different teams to partner with those who are already there working. Using our talents and gifts of speaking, of teaching English, welding, electrical expertise, business consulting, bikers, hikers, runners, climbers, we've said this is what we have to offer. We want to help. In addition, Mike and I are now deeply involved in a networking forum for the whole region. And as Troy said, Kim and Kurt from our Jackson site have retired early, sold their stuff gone through months of training and are hoping to move there in January. As we follow our Father, who will leave the 99 to search diligently for the one he has shown us what to do, we have found ourselves deeply involved in the cave rescue. And so as we finish up our series on God's heart for the nations, this is a moment of celebration and a moment of recommitting. We can celebrate the fact that as we followed our Father, he has led us to this place. He has opened our eyes to see that there is a team, there's many of them, trapped in a cave, and he has said, use what you have to help get them out. I can't think of anything more amazing than knowing that we're following God, and as a family, we are on the right path with our lives, and he's using us. I also see this as a time of recommitting. 
The task is huge and complicated. There is no easy way to bring the gospel to these nations. While Mike and I were there, we could speak Russian to the Agul men in our second language Russian and in their second language Russian, but that still presents too many barriers for them for the gospel. They need to hear about a Jesus who would speak Agul, who would feel Agul to them, not like some foreigner Jesus. For the gospel to come to them, it will take time, creativity, ingenuity, resources, and sacrifice. The rescue of the 12 boys took great creativity and ingenuity, mountains of resources, and one tragic sacrifice. One of the volunteers, former Thai Navy SEAL Sergeant Saman Kunan, died, placing oxygen canisters underwater along the route to the stranded boys. In route himself, he himself ran out of oxygen and could not be resuscitated. His willing sacrifice became an inspiration, spurring on efforts to rescue the boys. We also have an inspiration, don't we? Our leader, our King Jesus, also sacrificed his life in order to rescue us and bring us to this place of safety in our Father's love. We were as helpless as the boys in that cave. And as Jesus, who told the story of his father's heart, who would leave 99 to rescue the one, he knew, he knew the sacrifice that rescue was going to cost his very life. And now he says, I've given everything to rescue you. You are eternally safe. Now follow me. Come with me. Help those, help rescue those who are still trapped. Now perhaps you're thinking, Kara, I'm not super interested in this. I'm more interested in local outreach. I'm never leaving West Bend, and I don't really know what to do with all this. So I have some suggestions for you to consider, some ways you could become involved with actually without ever leaving Washington County. We have a slide. Thank you. The first thing is our marvelous Judy Vandeboom put together these awesome prayer guides that highlight each of our partner families and the areas of the world that we are investing in. I would encourage you to take one and pray for one of the families every day. Take them with you. Second, Kim and Kurt have created bracelets and bookmarks that we have on the tables out there for their region. Take as many as you want if it means you will pray for them and the region they are going. Third, take the perspectives class. Or at least, oh, I skipped number that one. Sorry. I'll go to the perspectives class and then I'll go back up. How do we get involved in this anyways, in this region of Russia? It was the perspectives class. When Mike and I came back from eight years of living in Russia, we took that class. We said to ourselves, how were we ever sent anywhere without having taken that class? And I had to write a paper on an unreached people group, a sealed off people group. And I thought to myself, hmm, I wonder if there's any of those in Russia. And so I started doing some research and found this region and was amazed. And from there, everything has happened with us and that region. The Perspectives class has the capability to change your heart and your mind and your thinking on this matter. Another thing you could do is consider joining one of, or joining the North Caucus prayer team. I send out an email once every two months with a list of things to pray for. We pray, and then I send another email. We are sending teams to the region every year, two or three different teams. Watch for an announcements if you're interested in joining one of those teams. 
Finally, we're coming up to that time of year where we'll be soon thinking about our Christmas Eve offering. For the past seven years, we as a family, Kettlebrook, have given away 100% of our Christmas Eve offering. It's between thirty dollars and $55,000 every year. We've given it to the DR Congo, to Esperanza Viva in Mexico, and to the Ministry of Tom and Jen Atwater in Colombia. This year, we will have an entirely different focus for our Christmas Eve offering. One of the most critical pieces for the rescue of any of these nations sealed off from the gospel is that they would get at least a portion of the scripture in their own language. Let me ask you a question. How many of you studied a second language in high school? Raise your hands. Or are studying? Okay. What if the only Bible available to you was available in that language? Or what if the only Bible available to you was available to you in that language after you'd really studied for only a year? How would that feel for you? In that situation, you would still have more access to the Bible than many of the peoples in these nations have. This is one of the top issues for most of these groups. They do not have God's word in their own heart language. I would say it's like the oxygen of the cave rescue. Without it, there's little to no hope. And so we've decided this year that we want to be very strategic in our Christmas Eve offering. If there will be hope of rescuing these ethne, Bible translation into their heart language is one of the most critical pieces. If you'll remember, there's 45 different language groups there. We've been given a list of the top five most critical Bible translation projects right now, and it's our goal to fulfill as many of those five as possible with our Christmas Eve offering. So the last thing I would ask you to do is pray about how God may want you to contribute to that effort. Suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one of them. Wouldn't you leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until you find it? God's heart beats for those who are still lost, and as we follow him as a family, our hearts do as well. Now, we started off the service today singing a song that many of you know well, Reckless Love. It's a beautiful song about God's heart from this very text. And at the risk of ruining or maybe redeeming a song for you, we're going to end doing something a little different today. Our father is like a shepherd who will leave the 99 to go after the one, right? So if I consider myself a follower of Jesus, am I the one or am I the 99? I am one of those wonderfully safe 99 So as I think about why the nations, why the nations, I can actually turn this song into a song that better aligns my heart to God's heart. One that helps me understand his passions and his heart for those who are still lost, who have no access. I'm not the one. I am not the one in this song. I'm in the safe 99. But I follow a God who will do anything to go after the one. Noel is going to lead us in that song again with some variations. These variations may challenge your heart. You might not like them. Go there. Be challenged. Align your heart with God's and ask him to help you find your place in this rescue. Please pray with me.
Father, we thank you that you are a shepherd who leaves 99 and goes after one. If it wasn't true, none of us would be sitting here today. We thank you that you don't leave us to sit happily doing nothing for the rest of our time on earth. You're asking us to join you in your rescue to go after the one and the one and the one. And so I pray, Father, that you would work in each of our hearts and show us how we can be a part. What part can we play to join you in your rescue? I lift this up to you in Jesus' name, our King. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.